We are in numbers. Hello, hello, welcome. And, um, and hello to all those who will be listening later. I am appreciating comments that I'm getting from people, and I'm glad that you're enjoying the Revelation study. And uh, we will be doing a very fascinating chapter in Revelation today, and I do have my notes printed. But we'll start with numbers. And, and I do want to pray real quick, Lord, I pray that those who cannot be with us today, you would have your hand of protection on them, that, that you would bless their traveling, Lord, and, and bless them in their journeys. I pray that you would take a special care of Tanya with her pregnancy right now as she's uh, going here and there and doing all these things. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would return them to us safely. And I pray for those here that, um, that you would bless us and enlighten us, Lord, and give us wisdom and understanding and help us to know what questions to ask and help us to learn something today in Yeshua's name. Amen. And I should pray for Help us to not be so tired. <laughs> it's the heat. It's the heat. So starting in Numbers 2, um, and we're going on with our count. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So our connection here is, and, and we've talked about this um, before, and we talked about specifically in earlier in Revelation, where the, we've got the faces of the four-faced creatures, each the, the standard or the banner of the middle family on each side is the face of the man, the, the bull, the um, eagle, and what's the other one? The, this would be the tired portion of our day. The lion, thank you, yes, the, the lion of Judah. So, so you have our four-faced creatures represented surrounding the, the tabernacle and, and camped in this way. Um, so those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their company. So the lion is on the east side. Um, the chief of the people of Judah be Nashon, the son of Aminadab, his company as listed being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Nethanel, the son of Zuar, his company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun, being Eliab, the son of Halon, his company as listed being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out first on the march. So they're on the east side. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben being Elizur, the son of Shadur. His company as listed being 46,500. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon being Shalomiel, the son of Zurishadai. His company as listed being 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Eliasaph, the son of Reuel. His company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450. They shall set out second. Then the tent of meeting shall set out. So we've got the, the two sides and then the camp of meeting in the middle. 
um, with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp. So they're at the very center. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. So, so really even, you've got the camps. If you, okay, so the tent of, ta the, the tabernacle is in the middle. The tent of meeting is in the middle. And then you have three tribes on the east side, three tribes on the south side, three tribes on the north side, three tribes on the west side. And if you imagine they're, they're moving from place to place, essentially everybody picks up the whole entire camp and walks in the same way that they're set up. So essentially it's a cross moving through the desert. Right, but but they do, but but you, they well the the one group goes first, and then we're now at the middle, where these three groups, because the the Levites stay in the midst of the people, they're in the middle. Right, but if you have okay, you're you're in your camp cross thing, mm -hmm. and then all right, these guys go first, then these guys go, then the middle guys go. Well, you can't you can't keep it that way. But I, ever the things the commentaries I've read about it, the comment and then let's see if they have anything here because the commentaries that I've read about it suggest that the middle three groups were supposed to be moving because they were surrounding because one of the reasons for surrounding the tabernacle was the protection of the tabernacle. So they had their positions around it. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff I've read, it suggested that was even while they were moving, that, that they, were, they were protecting it on each side. But let me see if they have a picture. I don't know that you could. It is. And I don't know that you could keep specifically, you know, a, a, a shape that from the air would, would look. Right, right. It wasn't like band, you know, yeah. <laughs> marching band. But and then you get into some narrow places, you know, okay, these guys yes. go first, and then these, and then these, and then the tabernacle of these guys, and then these, and these, and these, and these. And then, so, you know, when you set up, okay, these guys go east, and these guys go north, or whatever. And what were they moving in the first place for? Well, when God, would, when God would move, when the cloud that stayed around them would move, they moved in it. They, so the, God would set up, have them set up camp, and then God would move them. Yeah, they were slowly going, or they were wandering around, and God moved them from place to place. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, what it says here is. Right. So, and there, and there is. It's interesting that there's a lot. There's a lot of. Um, Tabernacle would be the same as those do. There, there's a lot of meaning that, that we're not even going into about each of the tribes and why they were ordered the way that they were, um, you know, in the different formations, like, like the tribe of Dan. It says north is symbolic of darkness. The word, uh, you know, means hidden. And Dan, too, is symbolic of darkness because it was in his territory that King Jeroboam placed a national idol in order to wean the people away from their second um, in, in, I'm sorry, in order to wean the people away from their pilgrimages to the temple. 
and Dan's descendants set up the uh, notorious graven image of Micah in their land, the darkest of all moral conditions. To balance the symbol of darkness, Dan's formation included a share, which was famous for its olive oil, symbolizing illumination of the darkness, and by Naphtali, whom Moses blessed with special favor. This formation is described as journeying not fourth, but last, unlike the other formations that are described as first, second, and third, because a tribe that symbolizes idol worship is indeed the last in terms of worthiness. So, so they were paired together in very symbolic, you know, balancing right. pairings and put in, in specific um, directions. But for the tent of meeting, it says, the exact point at which the tabernacle joined in the people's journey is a subject of dispute. According to Rashi and Rashbam, it was dismantled after Judah began to journey, and it began to move after Reuben. According to Ibn Ezra and Sforno, it traveled between Judah and Reuben. Ibn Ezra qualifies this, the parts of the building moved after Judah, but the more sacred parts, such as the Ark, which were borne by the Kohathites and accompanied by the Kohanim, moved after Reuben. Whatever the order, it is clear from this verse that the centrality of the tabernacle was preserved even during travel, for the Torah refers to it as the tent of meeting, even after it was taken apart. The Talmud teaches that the camps retained their relative degrees of sanctity even in transit, so that offerings that had been eaten within the Israelite camp could still be eaten in transit. This is a vital lesson for life. Judaism is not restricted to home, synagogue, and everyday activities. One must maintain his sanctity even as a tourist and a traveler. So... Yes, but there is a lot of commentary I've read that suggests um, that, and, and, you know, Messianic That's and Jewish, that suggests they maintained that structure. Odd, yes. It's, yeah, it's not. Well, and, but part of it, part of what they were doing is having to recreate the distances. So there was an, a sense of when you, you know, when they would stop, this camp would stop and everything else would form up around it in the, in the measurements. And so it would make sense to kind of maintain that setup. You know, uh, it's kind of like everybody, everybody pick up your tents and move. Though, though I do find it interesting, um, and this is, this is just pure conjecture, uh, when, we, when we were at the SCA and we saw the Mongolian houses, I just always imagined breaking down tents and moving them for the nomadic people. That was just always my thought. I never heard any suggestion otherwise. Um, and I have not really researched this with regard to the Israelite camps, but for the Mongolians, their homes were set up permanently on wagons. And they stayed on the wagon. So the wagon would be moved with the home intact. So they didn't have to tear down and, and break camp. They just... Oh, I thought they said that they put it up on the wagon. No, it's, it stayed on the wagon. And that's how it, and they would just hitch and unhitch the wagon, and, and the, the tent stayed on the wagon. Which, I don't know, I think if you, well, because well, the tents were on, I mean, it was called the tent, but it was set up more like, a, it was a yurt that was on the wagon. So, in my, you know, I, I'm curious if they had any type of similar situation, because, they were traveling a lot, and, and that just seems like a lot more practical of a way to move than, than having to 
Well, it doesn't go into any detail saying they walk or they rode or they no, and I back or anything. They just moved. Well, they moved. Yeah, they so, they picked up yeah, and moved. But I I just I've wondered if that was and and I haven't even had the chance to look at it and it might not like, be but, like, but then, it just seems know, so I mean, practical. Like the Native Americans that you wandered around, they just had really really easy to set up and take down. They had a couple of blankets. They they would just their teepees. They would just kind of wash up the teepees, drag it behind them, throw all the stuff on top, and go. Right. Right. <laughs> But even that, when you look at the teepees, the, the, the ones you can buy now, they're constructed in such a way that they're so easy to pop up that, right. that you're, but you don't, you don't even necessarily take it apart. It's just very, it's just very, the more I've learned about, right, they just collapsed and, but it's just very fascinating. The more I've looked into those nomadic kinds of structures, the less primitive, quote unquote primitive, yeah. it is in my mind. You know, in my mind, it was always. Yes. Right. 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 I just. Well, and I just think that we have this idea of primitive people that's not realistic. It's much more fancified and and. Yeah, whenever you think of back then, maybe. Yeah, you know, you know it's it's a rock and a stick. it's much more Neanderthal than it needs to be. Right. You know, it's it's like exactly. no, no, they were actually quite. I mean, they found in ancient Egypt, they actually found working batteries. You know, it's it's there's there's it's like oh, they're, they're, we have almost this ta this level of ignorance attached to it all that is is not there. And there were mat. I mean, there, I'm sure that there were. In fact, it says, you know, it had to, one of the things was saying it had, they, the people had to be 200 feet away from the, the tent of meeting. And so, I mean, there were calculations. It, it was a very complicated thing, which is also, I think, part of why God was so very specific. Right. You know, it, it's not everybody just, you know, pick up and move and we're all going to sit down at the other. It's first you take apart your stuff then you start moving and then you break down and you start moving and so i mean i think they may have maintained it doesn't you're right it doesn't necessarily say it does have them going in the specific order whether whether the three in the middle moved the two first, right right Yes. You're gonna go here, but make sure company A moves first, company right. B, company C. And then it's gonna be the commander of each company. This is how we're gonna pack it up right. and move this right. stuff. And it names commander. And it just yes. and then it goes down yes. to each till you get finally to the platoon going, Hey guys, you did this, you do this. You, you pick this, up that stick this, over there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're waiting for us because they can't take you off till we're ready. Yeah, so we gotta hurry up. That's right. Dan, hurry up and get <laughs> Quit napping. So verse 17, then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As the, and I think that's where they get the idea that it's in, is in the midst of the camps, that it stays in the middle. But as they camp, so, but but I yeah, again I don't know. But as they camp, so shall they set out each in position, standard by standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp, 
of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama, the son of Amihud, his company as listed being 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamaliel, the son of Petazur, his company as listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin being Abidon, the son of Gideonai, his company as listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100, and they shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, his company as listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pajil, the son of Okran. His company as listed being 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Ahira, the son of Anan. His company as listed being 53,400. All those listed of the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last, standard by standard. These are the people of Israel as listed by their fathers' houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550, but the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they camped by their standards, and so they set out each one in his plan according to his father's house. Yes, very specific, very precise. First chapter, we're counting everybody. Second chapter, we're organizing everybody. You know, and we're making sure that we have the same numbers recorded in both. It is very military, you know. Okay, we have this many people in this family, so we better have this many people in this cabin, you know, in this tent, in this area. So, um, so anyway. It is. Yes, and that's just the men of 11 of the tribes. Yeah, that's not counting women, children, or Levites. Yes, exactly. So you're talking, you know, yes. Yes. Yeah, move, move feet. Okay. Yes. Which is why, and, and it's interesting because some people say, well, there's no evidence of a couple million people at any point in time moving through this part of the world. And then I stop and go, this part of the world being desert, I live in the desert. You travel through the desert, and there's not much evidence you were there. The sand just. You know, go out to the sand dunes, and the whole thing is moving. You know, there, I, I wouldn't expect there to be a lot of evidence. There's not a ton of evidence. I mean, there's evidence of people, people living here for a long time. Right, not a ton. Not a ton. Right, and, it, and a lot of the evidence is in the areas where they built permanent structures in the caves. You know, yeah. it's, it's because they did that. Yeah. The places where people moved in tents and were nomadic, they're... Maybe a broken pot. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, you know, I, it's, it's just interesting. And, and some people will suggest, you know, these were approximate numbers, and I think they're very specific for approximate. I'll give you a little rounding with the yeah. hundreds and the five Yeah. And because say 5472 right I'll give it up. and numbers have meaning so they might have 
They're kind of like we don't have 13th floors in buildings. You know? No. Most, most buildings don't. Some do, but a lot of older, newer ones do, but a lot of older ones don't. It's very interesting. It skips 13, goes straight to 14. No, they just know people are superstitious. <laughs> yeah. I think it allows for that uh, willing suspension of disbelief. I think they think people. I think they think people want to be deluded. <laughs> And a lot do, so, <laughs> so it works out. <laughs> so Revelation 16. Um, and, and last time, you know, we, we're, we're at that reconciling the earth thing. We're at that unpleasant part. Um, you know, again, the, have, approaching Revelation with trying to look at it without fear and trying to, I mean, there are still some intense things happening, but again, they're very specific about who they're happening to. And so the solution is don't be those people, you know, it, and, and, and trust that unless it's happening right now, you shouldn't really think about people you know, you know, thinking about unsaved people or whatever as though they're going to be these people isn't very helpful as, it, you know. Yeah, I know. No, but I'm just saying a lot. A lot of people do. You people say, "Well, I'm up at," night. and a lot of it's because they've they've watched those movies or read the Left Behind series or whatever. But if you start thinking of the people I know right now who say they're unsaved, is is still very different from people who at that point will have willingly taken the mark of the beast. You you have no way of assuming that one equals the other, or that this person will even be alive to be doing that. You know, it's it's just not helpful. To, to imagine who's going to be in these situations because yeah, until it happened. I know. <laughs> I said, you know, pray for them that they won't be, but everything else about it is out of your hands. So Revelation 16, then I heard, um, then I heard, oh, in the, in the notes, one of the things that started out reminding us of, um, so this is a good thing to keep in mind as we read this chapter, is that there is a very strong picture connection between what is happening in Revelation and what happened at the Exodus. There are parallel uh, miracles being done. There are parallel signs. Um, there are parallel judgments. Uh, and, and in fact, Egypt is considered a prototype for the final redemption, just like we've talked about a lot with prophecies, where when prophecies are given, and we saw this with Joseph's dreams, what the first aspect of it is for that day and age. The second aspect for it is the age to come. So same with the Exodus. It happened, and there were things that were very specific for that time, but there are also prophetic pictures that are for the end time. Um, so it's, and it also, it goes from Israel the first time to the whole world the second time. So, so we can look to Israel and see, you know, images and stories of what will happen. So then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. It's what? It's not the time. Alexis is fine. That's right. No, those are hives. Those are very different. <laughs> Eczema is very, very different. Um, and, 
and they have the note in, in there that the idea of the mark is associated with the mark of circumcision. So if you don't, if you don't have that mark of circumcision, and I don't think that that necessarily has to be a physical circumcision, but the physical was always supposed to represent the circumcision of the heart. So either your heart is circumcised or it's not. If your heart is circumcised for God, you have his mark on you. If your heart is circumcised for the beast, you have his mark on you. And, and this goes with the idea of the mark on the forehead and the mark on the hand. Um, but the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. This, because it's on the earth, is very probably actually the water. Because the living things in the water are dying. That's a lot of fish. That's a lot of fish. Because, right, because then the next angel, it says the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. So we have the earth, we have the salt water, we have the fresh water. Um, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters saying, just as you are, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And the idea of the waters being turned to blood is back to Egypt, you know, when the waters were turned to blood and the creatures in it died. And, and so, so that, that's being done here too. And we have the boils also. Both of those were, were Egyptian plague things. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. I love that the altar is crying out to God here. I just think that's neat. Um, verse eight, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Which just sounds unpleasant. But also when you look. Solar rays or flares, flares, yes, 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 um, and, and it says, you know, Kabbalistically, the sun is located in, at Tiferet at the, on the Tree of Life, which is, um, you know, the throne, and blaspheme, blaspheming the name of God stands in direct contrast to the ultimate goal of unifying the name of God, um, you know, where, because this is, the, the whole point of all of this is unifying the name of God, uh, so, so this is also things that are, like there's, there's, there's imagery here in the, the sephiro, in things that are happening at a particular place because they're responding to a particular thing. So blaspheming the name of God results in the, the physical sun being used against you. Who had the mark of the beast, yes. Yes. They were scorched by the fierce heat. So basically... No, it's not everybody. And it really is a picture of you have chosen to align yourself with this anti-Messiah. You have chosen to align yourself with this blaspheming God, this, this you know, idol, this, this everything that is opposed to the true God. You have put yourself in a position of trying to separate the name of God at the moment that God is actually unifying his name. And, and it really is simply a natural consequence that if you are opposed to what God is doing, the things that God is doing to do what he is doing are going to fall on you. 
You know, it's, it's, you can't run, you can't stand in the middle of the freeway and expect not to get hit by a car. If God is moving, like very, very specifically in times, pulling it all together, moving, and you stand in opposition to him, you're going to get run over. And that's what's happening. So, you know, there, and, and it's not, it's not like there haven't been warnings, even, even, not even just the presence of the book of Revelation, but the record of the different messengers, the different angels, the two prophets saying, this is what God's doing. Look, he's doing it. Look, I'm telling you and it's happening. Hey, it's coming true as I'm saying it. And these are the people who have still said, no, I'm in opposition to this. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, this isn't pleasant. I'm not going, yeah, they're going to get theirs, you know. No. But, but there's, there's an element of what did you expect? You put yourself in opposition to what God was obviously doing. This is what happens. Um, and, and it's, you know, and they, that, that's, this is actually, this concept is very present in, you know, in the, the different phrases, you know, the idea they did not repent and give him glory, um, you know, speaks to the repentance is associated with, with the mother and the not giving him glory and is, has to do with trying to keep the bride and the groom separated. And so there's, there's this picture all running through here of the things that they are doing are not just in this physical realm. They are doing things that are impacting, you know, they're trying to stand in opposition to God and, and he's not going to let it stop. He's, he's doing what he's doing. Um, so verse nine, they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And, and this is really significant, I think, because when things happen, I mean, God's saying this is going to happen and then it happens and these people's response rather than oh, wow, you are real, you are true, you said this was going to happen and it's happening, I need to humble myself before you, their response is arrogant and they curse him. How dare you do this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't do this to me. So they did not repent and give him glory. Um, verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. So this is another, the, the darkness is another plague. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So the reason it's happening to them is that they have aligned themselves with the beast. But they're cursing God because what's being done to the beast is happening to them. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, which is, is also connected kind of to, um, you know, to, to Egypt because the, it was the water separating and them crossing on the dry land that allowed for, for their, their exodus. It wasn't one of the actual, you know, ten plagues, but, but it was part of the whole miracle. And I saw, verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Uh, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. 
Um, so whether these are the things that these that these peoples uh, are speaking, whether it's a, like a demonic, uh, whether it's, you know, demons coming out and going about and causing things in the spiritual realm that come about, there's probably that element, but it's also probably him seeing that what they were speaking was demonic, that what they were speaking was, um, you know, Satan's plan coming out. Uh, it was tangentially related. Uh, one of, a, a woman that I knew years ago was talking about when she first started really coming to believe that, that, you know, demonic powers, you know, demonic presences could influence things. She, she had a roommate who she, she started to wonder if she might be possessed slash oppressed somehow demonically influenced because all these strange things would happen. Like she would come in and accuse her of moving all of her furniture in her room. And she'd be like, what are you talking about? And they'd go in and the dresser was turned around and all these things had happened. And she was just, it was just very strange. And one day they were watching TBN and the show was about the demonic and about the, you know, the impact of the demonic on, on people. And she kept thinking, gosh, I wonder what she's thinking. And then when the show was over, she, you know, the woman, the roommate picked up the phone and was calling TBN and she's like, that was, that was just such a great show. I need to get a copy of that. I, but the way she was talking about it, she was like, think we just watched the same show and she said what did you think that show was about she said, well that was the best show on money man you know money management and financial planning I've ever watched she was like okay but I I have seen it before where I'll be talking to people and it's clear that what they're hearing is not what I'm saying and and you know, I've stopped and prayed, Lord, if there are demons that are, that are influencing what they're hearing, you know, move, get them out of the way. And then suddenly we're able to have this, but like their responses are, you know, non-responsive where it's like, they're angry. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about ice cream and they're all hostile, you know, and I'm going, but it wasn't chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some weird thing. So, so I do actually believe that, that, demonic spirits can be involved in either what's being said or what's being heard, you know, so there's, there's clearly some spiritual force here that, that is uniting all of these leaders together and is, and is bringing about this, this aligning against God and a, of, of the world's leaders. Um, and they go, they're performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the world. And this is, this is also very similar to, um, Pharaoh's, uh, prophets and priests who were able to do all of the miracle, you know, they were matching miracles for at the beginning. Yeah. So, but the, there's, you know, it's, there are, these demonic spirits are performing signs and they're going to the Kings of the world and going, look, we're powerful, you know, come and join our side, come and join up with us. Um, so they, to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the almighty. And then verse 15, in parentheses, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. There you go. <laughs> Don't be naked. Um, but this is, this is, you know, this is God interjecting here. You know, all this stuff is happening, but just take care. And the idea of coming like a thief um, it, when when bridegrooms would be returning for their bride, the the most romantic bridegroom would be the one who would come in the middle of the night. 
like between, you know, and so, so that it was very unexpected and the bridegroom would go ahead and say, you know, the bridegroom cometh or the, the, the best man would go ahead and then the bride would be ready, which we have the, the picture of the 10 virgins being up at night waiting for him, you know, and, and then they all fall asleep. They all fall asleep, which is fine. I mean, that it's not good, but it, yeah, they fall asleep because they're waiting a very long time. The problem comes when it turns out that half of them don't actually have any oil in their lamps, you know, and oil being the Holy Spirit. And so, so there's this picture of stay ready, stay prepared, be cloaked in righteousness, have your oil lamps filled, you know, this, this don't lose hope. So, so even witnessing all of these things, even these things, you know, when, the, when these leaders are aligning to, to be against God and God's message to his people is, it's okay. I'm coming. Don't lose hope. And, you know, those, these are the kinds of, when people, when, when certain people in the Christian community want to look at what's going on in the world, ah, we've got to do this. And, you know, this, the, the government's doing this. You know what? If, if the government is in this process of aligning or is going to be in this process, nothing we can do about it. What's the message to us? Freak out and run around like idiots and, and give a bunch of news quotes that will make us look stupid? Or and, and you know, I think... And maybe some food. And, and I, but you know what? I think, that if, I think that if they do that, that may end up being a beneficial thing. It may be what God's leading them to do. Doesn't mean it has to be what God's leading you to do. Maybe God's leading you to do something different or to just be faithful and know he's going to take care of you. You know, it, it was one of those, were there people out in the wilderness with the, with the Israelites wandering around going, I knew I should have brought that greater. You know, probably, but I'm betting somebody else had one they were able to use. You know, it's, it's just, I think that when you stop thinking of yourself in isolation and start thinking of yourself in community, um, it's funny if you've if you've ever watched the Doomsday Preppers show on A and E, it's it's really interesting because some of the people go into this isolationist mode, and they have their bunker and their guns and their food, and then other people's you know and 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 it's funny because they always say what's the Doomsday thing you're preparing for and and there are practical things like some of the people are like look we live in an area where every forty nine years there's a major earthquake. And it's year 47, <laughs> so I figure I've got two years to prepare for a major earthquake. But a lot of times those people who are being very practical network their communities. You know, let's all get together. Who's farming? Who has these resources? What are your skills? Let's all, you know, let's all get together. And, and so in this day, if, if the believers stay networked and stay in a community... You know, that's, that's so kind of all you can do. Honestly, some of the things they do, yeah. Having yeah. two years of food stored up, I just think is wisdom. I don't think that has to be a doomsday idea at all. Um, and, so you know, yes, and they are set up in community. A lot of times they live in, in towns that are all, you know, primarily um, their community. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I am trying to prepare, re, redo our food stores to a certain extent, I'm trying to kind of get our, get our budget under control and then figure out how much I can put of our monthly food budget into that. But the times where God's told me, you know, take, 
take this money that you have and buy a year's worth of food? I was always glad I did because the next year something happened that we needed to live off that food. And I just, I just think it's wisdom. Um, but, but, you know, in the midst of all this happening, God's message is, uh, is to keep clothes. And it, the notes here, the keeping of one's garment is an allusion to the soul, specifically to the higher soul called the neshama. Um, the higher soul is granted to man as opposed to the nefesh, which is present in all men as well as in all living creatures. So, so there's the nefesh level of the soul that gives us our personality and, and is our living part. And then there's the neshama, which is the part that is awakened to God and, and that is able to be united with him. And so that is spoken of as um, keeping your garment, you know, having, having that level of your soul connected so, um, so verse 16, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Um, just to know about this place, because we're talking about how the things that have happened there originally become a picture of the things that will happen again. Um, Harm, uh, the Valley of Armageddon, or, or Armageddon is where, uh, the battle between uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt and King Joash took place. Joash, Josiah, the one, the one who was the most righteous. I'm going to double question myself on, on, on which it was. I think it's King Josiah, um, who about it, who, him was said, you know, never was there a king who loved the Lord more than him. And Pharaoh and Egypt came against Israel, and in that battle... Egypt, the, the, the Pharaoh killed King Josiah, and it was in response to that that the prophets came and said that Babylon would take out Egypt. And, and the reason Babylon was allowed at that point to overthrow Egypt was because in that battle at Armageddon, the, the king of Israel that loved God more than any other king um, was killed. So we've got Egypt, we've got Babylon, we've got Israel all there. And here we now have them coming together at a place called Armageddon. Should bring that to mind. Um, 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. So which great city is this talking about? Because a lot of times Jerusalem is referred to as the great city. Um, but they make the argument and I, I think that it's pretty valid. Babylon is also referred to as great in different uh, sections of the Bible and this specifically rep rec references Babylon being remembered by God. So this is probably Babylon being, being split. Um, make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Verse 20, and every island fled away and no mountains were to be formed. Uh, found. Yes, thank you. Um, if you remember back to chapter 6 where we talked about islands and mountains moving, that it had to do with... Um, obstacles to God, obstacles to what God was doing. Um, we have, you know, Yeshua saying, if you had the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. 
and and that they would they would flatten before you. And so this, it, God's doing something, and every obstacle to what He was doing, not to be found. And great hailstones, um, which is another Egyptian plague, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Yes. <laughs> my roof and my floor. <laughs> Seriously, 100 pounds. That's intense. Yes. My car. <laughs> so um, that is the end of our chapter. We end on hailstones of 100 pounds coming through your house. Seriously. Um, questions, thoughts, observations? Fears? Anxiety? I'm kind of curious of, but... Not now. Probably going to be taking on the earth in itself. Bacteria in the earth. Mm-hmm. I assume get the sun involved and everything else. That created all the other planets in the universe or whatever else to go with it. What do they have to do with all Um, At this point, in regards to what's happening on the earth, nothing. They, they, yeah, yeah. What's the rest of the someone say they're watching. No. We, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I'll just end, end the recording with may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.